0: Good morning. Peace be with you. Um, As that introduction was given, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Cole Kirby. Uh, I serve at Sojourn Montrose as one of the church planting residents over there, along with Carlos Rebollar, who many of you know very well. Uh, and, And this morning, I'm honored to have the opportunity to finish the sermon series on the five solas of the Protestant Reformation. And before... We get started. I'm going to pray because I know I need it. And so if you would join me in prayer. Lord, we come to you today with humility as we open your word. We ask that as we do so, and as we discuss your church's history in its beauty and its flaws, that we would come away being able to pronounce that Christ alone is our hope. And so, Lord, we ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would make much of your Son this morning. Use my mouth to do that. Use our hearts to do that. Use our song and liturgy to do that. And use the meal that we will partake in after the sermon to do that. You are our only hope, Lord Jesus. Make yourself known. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I was, I was just sitting thinking as, as Ryan was talking about how I completely could not think of any sort of illustration for the sermon as I prepared over the last couple of weeks. And then it came to me. And so I, I don't know if many of you remember it, but probably you do. There's an old SNL skit where there's music playing, and, and one of the guys cries out, and, and it's this joke about cowbells. And one of the guys cries out, he says, I've got a fever and the only remedy is cowbell. And so, so cymbals could not fix his remedy, snare drum couldn't, couldn't heal his fever, there was no amount of electric guitar that could come in and make him well, only cowbell was the answer. And I say that as the illustration because this morning what we're going to be talking about is the doctrine of Solus Christus, which was kind of the battle cry of the Reformation where the Reformers would cry out that Christ alone is our hope. There was nothing else that they could cling to that would be their hope. There was no amount of of going to the Mass. There was no amount of knowing the Scriptures. There was no amount of time in prayer or giving of their finances that could be their hope. But Christ alone was their hope. And and so if you haven't been around the last few weeks as we've walked through uh, the first four solas of the Reformation... Um, Some of you are sitting here thinking, I don't even know what that means. What is a sola of the Reformation? And and so we have taken, throughout church history, five key doctrines or teachings that came out of the Protestant Reformation. And the reason we're talking about it is because we're celebrating the 500-year anniversary of Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses up at the church in Wittenberg, which most of us probably have in our mind as this big elaborate event where thousands of people were gathered around chanting, and, and it wasn't like that at all. He went at night and quietly posted his theses on a bulletin board that was found the next morning, and so it wasn't that exciting, but it is where we mark the beginning of what we call the Protestant Reformation. In the last four weeks, we've talked about the the other four foundational doctrines. We've talked about sola scriptura, which is the the doctrine or teaching that the Bible alone can be our chief authority as the church, that that from only the Bible can we go first to find authoritative teaching, and that is what should shape the life of the church. We've said that faith alone is, is the way that we access God's grace, that there's no amount of works or Participation that would give us access to God's grace, but only faith in Christ and his work. We've said that we're saved by grace alone, that there's nothing that we can do to earn the merit that God would give us to forgive us of our sins or, or give us hope, but that it's all of God's grace and his goodness. And we've said that that all of the aim of Christian living and the church is for the glory of God alone, soli deo gloria. And this morning, we will talk about solus Christus, Christ alone. Christ alone is the mediator between God and men. God and humanity has one mediator, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ, he alone is our hope for the forgiveness of sins, as he's a sufficient savior. Nothing else can gain merit for us but Christ and his righteousness. And so as we look into this promise that God has for us, let's look again to the text from 1 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul writes, For there is one God. And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So there is no amount of spirituality or moral righteousness or church going or knowledge of the Bible or any other thing that can save you. Only relationship with God that is mediated by Jesus And based upon his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection over death, only that can save you. And so the doctrine known as solus Christus, meaning Christ alone, is truly the battle cry of God's church. That Christ alone is our hope. As he mediates a relationship between flawed and sinful people like us and a perfect and holy God of the universe. And so to understand this doctrine, we'll first jump into a little bit of historical context. Why did this arise out of the Protestant Reformation? Because it doesn't sound like this is something that is, was new to the church, that Christ alone would be the hope of humanity. And, and it wasn't new. In the Reformation, the doctrines of the four solas were not new things to the church. They were just reemphasized and recovered as the church had, had lost its way and lost a bit of clinging to the authority of scripture first. So Solus Christus becomes a battle cry for the reformers because it's a, a way of them saying that Christ is the only person responsible for saving and that he was all that someone needed to come before God in prayer, in confession, and in Repentance. Christ alone mediates this beautiful relationship between God and humanity. And when we say that Christ mediates, what we mean is that he is the only person or way through which people can have access to God. That he stands between us and God, constantly pleading our case if we are to put our hope in him. And the reformers were adamant about this doctrine primarily because of two practices of the Roman Catholic Church at the time. The first was the practice of penance, which the Roman Catholic Church observed as one of their seven sacraments, whereas we, as the Protestant Church, observe two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And penance was, was this process, or and is this process, through which the Catholic Church teaches that sin that is committed is dealt with. And so the church taught that that you were first infused with grace at the moment of your baptism, which typically took place as an infant. But then, and so by that you were justified and, and made right with God, but you could lose that justification and your salvation hopes... By committing what the church called mortal sins. And and mortal sins are are sins that were premeditated, that someone knows are wrong and chooses to do so anyway. Sins like stealing or committing adultery or murder. And the church taught that this is, that that penance is the only way through which this sin can be dealt with and you could be restored into a state of grace. And, And so what would happen in the process of penance, is first that, that the sinner would go before a priest and confess their sin. And then the priest would, would assign to the confessing sinner some sort of act of contrition, which is usually the recitation of some solemn prayer of repentance that, that had to be said with honesty and hopefulness. And then you would go back to the priest after making your act of contrition and you would receive from the priest absolution, which is the priest pronouncing that you could be forgiven of your sin. And then the last, process, the last part of the process of penance is doing a work of satisfaction. And a work of satisfaction is something that, that had to be do, done in order to be restored to a state of grace. This could include going to the Mass, or giving alms, or performing a ritualized prayer. And the purpose was to pay back the debt of your injustice for your sin so that you might be restored to right standing with God, found again in his good graces. And and so penance was one of the primary things that the church was teaching that the reformers were frustrated with, and the other was the teaching about purgatory, that, that a A believing Christian could not have enough merit at the end of their life to enter directly into heaven, and so they would go into this in-between of purgatory, maybe for thousands of years as they paid off their debt to be restored to a state of grace. But they could be helped by the living or by the deceased saints who could offer for them prayers or purchase indulgences on their behalf to shorten their time in purgatory. And so with these two things, you can probably see why the reformers made Solus Christus, or Christ alone, their battle cry. Because at the center of both of these things, both penance and purgatory, are the works of men. A baptism performed by men. Sin committed by men. A process of repentance based upon a human priest Mediating grace through the works of a repentant sinner. Or purchasing indulgences and and making prayers and giving alms so that one might have their debt paid in purgatory to enter into heaven. And the reformers wondered, where is Christ in all of this? Have we lost our way? Was his death on the cross not sufficient? to forgive sins? Is his work right now at the right hand of God as our great high priest not powerful enough to keep us in the faith? And these are the questions that the reformers began asking as they cried that Christ alone is responsible for salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, and and he alone is responsible for presenting us in the end as holy and righteous and beloved not on our works or or what we have done or what others have done on our behalf. He is our only mediator, and we need nothing else. Martin Luther put it this way, and this is one of my favorite quotes, maybe in all of human history. He says, be a sinner and sin boldly, but believe and rejoice in Christ even more boldly. For he is victorious over sin, death, and the world. It is enough that by the riches of God's glory, we have come to know the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. No sin will separate us from the lamb, even though we commit fornication and murder a thousand times a day. Do you think that the purchase prices that was paid for the redemption of our sins by so great a lamb is too small? Martin Luther asks, is Christ alone not enough for us? And he's making the point that really all of the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, make regarding Christ. As we read from 1 Timothy earlier, that Christ has given himself as a ransom for all who would believe in him. A sufficient ransom so that the debt that was owed by humans in need of forgiveness for sin and unholiness, that it's been paid fully by Christ for all who would hope in him, and that Christ now sits as the representative between us and to God the Father. He's constantly pleading the forgiveness of his people on the basis of his perfection and his sacrificial death rather than our own that purchase price church is more than enough for us to have confidence. We don't need priests to tell us that we're forgiven. We don't need to do good works or say the perfect prayers or give enough to the church or to the poor. Those teachings cannot save us. Those things cannot add to our salvation because we are saved solely based upon the work of Christ. And it's easy at this point to be confused or tricked into believing that really the problem is just with the Roman Catholic Church in the Middle Ages, or or to believe that Rome is the only place in Christendom that takes away from the work of Christ and puts hope or glory or the satisfaction of God in the hands of men. But recent polls show that an alarming number of Christians, even evangelical Christians, don't believe that Christ is the only way to come into relationship with God, or that his works are maybe not enough for us to be counted righteous, that we also need to add to them with our works. Moreover, we live in a broad culture of relativism that constantly proclaims that there are many ways to God and that Jesus Christ might be just one of them. We hear constantly through the media, maybe from our family members, that this gospel of being a good person and that if we are good enough and have good enough intentions and we put our hope in the well-being of others, that those intentions and our good works will earn God's love for us and, and will give us access to his eternal paradise. And on the other side of the coin, many Protestants, many of us probably even in this room, functionally practice penance, just like the Catholic Church did in the Middle Ages. Let me explain what I mean and hear if this process sounds familiar to you. You're going about your day, and you experience a temptation that you've experienced many times before, and you know that it's something you shouldn't do or something you shouldn't say, but you go ahead and do it, and and you commit this sin that you know is wrong, and then immediately you're overwhelmed by guilt and shame and frustration. And so in an attempt to... Assuage your emotions that are completely crippled by your guilt and shame. You go to your accountability partner or someone in your parish or maybe to a pastor and you confess what you've done. And far too often that accountability partner or whoever it is that you're confessing your sin to doesn't really preach the gospel to you. They just say, I, you know, I do that too and it's okay and you can move on. But they also will probably prescribe to you some sort of act of contrition, some sort of healthy diet of quiet times and, and a few moments spent with your prayer journal. And so you read Psalm 51 a few times, and you write a quick note in your journal, and, and your conscience begins to feel back into a state of health, and you move on. And, and what I don't want to say this morning is that confessing sin to a brother or sister is wrong. In fact, the Bible tells us that we must do that. And what I don't want to tell you is that time spent in your Bible or with your prayer journal is wrong. But the question is, is are you putting your hope for forgiveness, for the removal of your guilt and shame in that process? Or is that process pointing you to the Lord Jesus Christ who is your only hope in those moments? Do you believe that you're forgiven because you've confessed to a brother? Or do you believe that you're forgiven because Christ's death on the cross was sufficient for you? Do you trust Christ alone to be your only hope in life and death for the forgiveness of sins and access to a relationship with God? Or do you trust your own good works, your own process of repentance, your own involvement in a church family? Your tithes, your offerings, your service at a nonprofit, the prayers and encouragement of others. Church, we must live as a people who truly believe that Christ is our only hope. We can't supplement his works with ours, we can't know God apart from clinging to him in faith. We need no other savior because Christ is a perfect savior. Paul tells us this in Colossians. He says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, being the Lord God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Notice first, he has delivered us. This is a past tense. This is something that has already been accomplished on your behalf, so you need no longer strive for that hope. Second, he has done it. God has accomplished this totally for you. There's no amount of human effort in this process. And where has he delivered us? Into the kingdom of his beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our only hope for redemption. Ultimately, what we must establish and believe and constantly be reminded of is that Christ is a perfectly sufficient sacrifice to remove our guilt, that his work on the cross was enough for us and that he right now is a perfect high priest who intercedes for us, constantly showering us with more and more of his grace. If you read the letter written to the Hebrews in the New Testament, you will see this theme over and over and over again being developed, that Christ is a perfect high priest. Hebrews chapter nine especially explains that Christ is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament's temple system, which means that no longer do we need to repeatedly go and make offerings and sacrifice for our sins because the offering and sacrifice of Christ on the cross is once for all final. No longer do we need a priest to intercede between us and God and to mediate the grace of God's covenant promises to us because Christ is right now accessible to us in relationship. Hebrews 9 says this, but when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once For all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats or calves, but by means of his own blood. Thus securing an eternal redemption. For Christ has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy place year after year with the blood not of his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. What the author is showing us is that the sacrificial system of temple worship established in the Old Testament for the people of Israel was always meant to point toward something more, and that something more was the death of our Lord Jesus. Bulls and goats being slaughtered was never meant to truly remove guilt from sin, but it was to point us to Jesus who once and for all offered his blood to remove our guilt and our sin. God's plan was not to always have priests being forced to go into his presence to make intercession on behalf of a sinful people. Rather, his plan was for Christ to come before him as the sacrificial lamb and the representative priest to plead our case before God. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that Jesus is constantly sitting at the right hand of the Father doing this. He says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Nothing in all creation, Paul tells us, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He alone is our hope. We don't need priests or penance. We don't need guilt-driven robotic cycles of confession. We don't need our own good works or a certain level of maturity in the faith or a certain level of theological knowledge. We need only to hope in Christ, our spotless lamb, our faithful priest who constantly is in the heavenly realms praying that we might remain in him. Ephesians 2 says this about you, church. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit so this is the reality that the reformers were striving for in the middle ages while rome had essentially reverted back to old testament temple worship where sacrifice had to be repeatedly made through the mass and confession and penance and the purchasing of indulgences, priests being forced to mediate between God and his people. The reformers knew that there was a better and more perfect covenant promise for the people of God that existed solely in the person and work of Jesus Christ. No longer does the presence of God reside in buildings built by men but in the hearts of those who have faith in Christ. No longer is there a need for fear of unforgiveness with every momentary sin because the sacrifice of Christ was perfect, sufficient, and it's finished. Sin was forgiven because of Christ, and trusting in him through faith is all that is necessary to access that forgiveness. So the question becomes, what is at stake? What is at stake for us, both as the church and individually, if we forsake this doctrine of solus Christus? What do we lose if we don't truly believe that Christ is our only hope in life and death, our only mediator between us and God? God. Two worldviews can emerge out of that. First, if if Christ isn't enough to grant us forgiveness and, and receiving God's grace becomes something that we have to earn on some level, we will be forced into moralism, which says that we must earn our salvation based upon our ability to avoid doing bad things and our ability to do only good things. Or, we could fall into the worldview of relativism. If Christ is not the only way to relationship with God, if he is not the only mediator between God and humanity, then we lose the exclusivity of the Christian faith. And we'll be forced to admit that Jesus is just one way to access a nebulous God who really believes you can do whatever you think is best in your heart. And you'll be rewarded for it. The problem with that is that that is not what the Bible proclaims. That is not what Jesus proclaims, for he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If our hope cannot be in Christ alone, then it must be also in something or someone else. And that something or someone else will always be a created thing or a created person rather than the perfect creator himself. So if Christ alone can't be our hope, then ultimately we lose any amount of assurance that we have that we are in a safe place of redeemed relationship with God. We lose any assurance of salvation if we put our hope in anything other than Christ. Not only do we lose that, but if Christ alone is not our hope, then the last four weeks proclaiming the other four solas of the Reformation was all done in vain. Because if Christ alone isn't our hope, then none of those things make sense. Because He alone is the reason that they're true and helpful. We say sola scriptura, that the Bible alone is our authority. And Christ taught after his resurrection, he walked with men on a road to Emmaus and explained that all of the law and the prophets taught about him. And if Christ alone is in our hope, then 75% of our Bible, the Old Testament, becomes nothing more than a history lesson. So why would it be authoritative? But if we believe that it teaches about our only hope being in Jesus Christ, then the whole Bible becomes authoritative and helpful and profitable for us. We can't say that we are saved only by grace if Christ alone is in our hope because we wouldn't be able to trust only in his work on our behalf. We would have to earn some level of our salvation. So sola gratia goes out the window. If Christ isn't our only way to access God in relationship, then we can't say faith alone accesses the grace of God. There would have to be supplementary works or some other mediator that would give us access to God, so sola fide goes out the window. And if the Bible consistently proclaims that all of human history and all of the created world exists solely to make much of God through his son, Jesus Christ, then we certainly can't say that all of these things are for the glory of God alone. Because if he's not a sufficient savior, then I probably deserve some of the glory for my salvation. Or at least my pastors do, or my parents do, or somebody else must God can't be the only one deserving of glory in that situation. But as it is, Christ alone is our hope. And all of those other things are helpful and sound and accurate and beautiful realities about the nature of God as he reveals himself to the world. And they all hinge upon the lordship and sufficiency of Jesus The Bible is about Jesus and contains all the truth that we need to be saved, but church, the Bible cannot save you. God's grace is the beautiful method by which we are saved, but grace is only afforded on account of the work of Jesus. And apart from him, even God's grace will not save you. You will have no access to it. Faith is the only means by which we are saved, But it is not our faith that saves us, church. It's the object of our faith, our Lord Jesus. If we put our faith in anything or person or practice apart from Jesus, we will be nothing more than destitute sinners apart from God, hoping in the wrong thing. God's glory certainly is the ultimate aim of all of creation, but his glory is only accomplished through the work and the resurrection of his victorious son, Jesus. And so he alone is the cornerstone of our faith. And of all of eternity's meaning, its purpose, and its depth, Christ alone will save us because he is able and willing to do so. So let us make our lives ones that are committed to knowing his truth through his word, celebrating his grace toward us wretched sinners as we trust in him faithfully for salvation. And in all of this, God will receive glory, though none of it will be because of us. Christ alone is the reason that any of us live and move and have purpose. He is a lovely savior, church. Christ alone will anchor us to the promises of God and sustain us in a life of trouble. What a faithful savior he is. Christ alone will give us confidence in our soul's condition when we feel tired and far from obedient to the things that God has called us to because he's a merciful savior. Christ alone can make those in our lives who are dead to God's truth, alive in the grace of God because he's a powerful savior. He's our only hope, our savior, our king, our priest, our spotless lamb. Do you think that the purchase price that was paid for the redemption of our sins by so great a lamb is too small? If so, whether you're a believer in the room or a non believer in the room, you ought to think again. You ought to believe that Christ's work on your behalf is enough, that He desires deeply for you to hope only in Him and to experience all the riches of His kingdom. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and allow the riches of His mercy, the splendor of His character, to be your soul's satisfaction. Allow that to happen this morning and forevermore into the glory of eternity where we will praise him alone for endless days. In Christ alone, let your hope be found. That is the application this morning. The practical application of this doctrine is to hope in Christ and nothing else because there's nothing more beautiful to behold, more worthy to trust in, and more exhilarating to serve than our victorious savior, Jesus Christ, our matchless king. Let's pray. Lord, by the power of your spirit, would you draw our hearts to you in faith, that we would hope in the work of your son and in your son alone. I pray this morning that if there are those of us in the room who have called ourselves Christians but have put our hope in our works or, or the things that we do or the people we're associated with, that you would crush those idols and turn our gaze solely upon your son. Lord, by the power of your spirit, I pray that this morning, if, those, if there are people in the room who have yet to put their hope in you, if they've yet to trust your son's work on their behalf, would you soften their hearts to it? And as we come to the table this morning, would you satisfy us? Not only with bread and juice, but with the ministry of your spirit as we experience the work of Christ on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.